All right, let's get started this morning. want to, I believe, finish up our survey of the one another's in the New Testament. So we're in the book of James this morning. Beautiful spring day for us. Trust you'll enjoy time of worship this morning. Some rest. I know a handful of you will be up at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary to hear the Gettys sing tonight. I'd heard of a number of folks being up there. Enjoy that. And then we'll press on through the week and see what the Lord has in store for us. This morning, we're looking at James chapter 5. And the one and others we want to begin with are found in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now we have a therefore, but the therefore that we're pointing back to is a pretty complicated text. And so, Lord willing, uh, next week I want to unfold this for you. Um, What we find there before is the paragraph beginning in verse 13. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Then we have that word, therefore. So based on that account, we're told to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another that we may be healed. I want us this morning just to note the general principle and then, as I mentioned in the weeks to come, we'll unfold this text. Uh, I was able to present an argument out of this paragraph to a pastor's fellowship a couple weeks ago, and so I I think it would be helpful for us to look at that um, just a little insight into that, you'll, you'll see that anointing with oil um, there in the name of the Lord. And so uh, going all the way back to the Reformation, of course, uh, as the Protestant movement was pulling out of the Roman church, uh, I'm not convinced there was a clean break from the sacrament of extreme unction that influenced even the translation of this text Um, because I would argue from its use in Scripture that this text should even read, if any among you is weak, um, as that is the usage in the rest of the letters of the New Testament. If any among you is weak, let him call for the elders of the church, and that weakness would be a weakness in faith. So we're going to argue that there's a spiritual weakness that calls for spiritual leaders to implement spiritual measures for spiritual restoration or health. Therefore, we're still on a spiritual plane. We confess our sins to one another and pray for one another to find restoration, spiritual health. Um, Unfortunately, I think the language skews your immediate thought of where this text goes. Uh, But both times we see sick, the usage elsewhere in the New Testament is weak. Um, And even the use of we'll save the one who is sick... um, It's a broad word that can mean health, restoration, forgiveness, uh, healing. And so there's a a lot to look at, and I'll give you some of the the thoughts that would lead us down this spiritual path. But 
that helps if if what comes before is spiritual and not physical then verse 16 makes a little more sense it keeps us in the same spiritual plane uh, with a conclusion that is there is a togetherness of believers for someone's individual spiritual health you don't function alone you don't you don't travel the pilgrim journey alone. Uh, There is a corporate effort in individual spiritual health. Um, And that, I think, is the argument of verses 13 through even our verse here in verse 16, that, listen, you need to include others in your spiritual journey, whether it's cause for celebration, uh, we rejoice with those who rejoice, whether it's cause for exhortation, Uh, or comfort. We weep with those who weep. And if anyone is struggling in their faith, which is the theme of the book of James, remember, uh, you know, you can say you have faith, but it should be demonstrated in works. So this demonstrable faith is what James is after. Uh, So when we get to the conclusion of this book, it seems odd that he would suddenly flip the coin and say, and by the way, here's this guarantee of physical health if you just tell the elders and they pray. Because the text is a guarantee. Three times, future verb is used, this will happen. Well, the only thing we can be certain of that will happen if we're praying according to God's will is the spiritual development that he, long, that he designs for all of his children. He doesn't always promise us physical health. So, verse 16, for now, just mark the one another's of confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another in order that there be a greater level of health or strength. So acknowledge your areas of weak faith. Acknowledge your struggles. Acknowledge besetting sins so that others can pray for you to have victory in those areas. Uh, That's the only healing we can pray with certainty for. You can pray for grandma to get better. You can pray for and so-and-so's cancer, but you have absolutely zero guarantee that you are praying in God's will when you're demanding or clinging to the hope that they would be healed. Uh, That is beyond our ability to know what God is going to do. And frankly, to insist on their health may be to be praying against God's will because his promise is to work all things for our good, not necessarily to give us every good thing as we measure goodness. So include others in your spiritual journey There is a togetherness element to your personal, individual, spiritual health. And in this journey of faith, uh, whether it be through trials, which James mentions at the very beginning of his text, uh, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, uh, knowing, knowing that that God is going to use them to shape you into what you should be. Uh, Confessing your sins to someone, to one another, it's not that that person is able to pardon you. This isn't Roman Catholic confession and the priest pardons you and gives you your course of action to find forgiveness. Uh, Confess is simply to acknowledge, to, to agree to what really has happened. To say, whatever I did uh, is what God calls sin. So we're, we're simply acknowledging our our struggle, our transgression. Now, it may be at times you need to confess to someone in the sense of seeking their forgiveness, uh, agreeing that 
your angry response to them was sin. But here, I think the weight of the confessing to one another is already what we heard a glimpse of, if anyone is weak slash sick, call the elders. Call somebody around to to help you in your struggle. Uh, So confess sin and pray for one another. Uh, And then there's some arguments that follow there regarding uh, the effectiveness of prayer. So let's revisit that. You can do some study this week, maybe look over that, think through some uh, arguments. Um, It's a complicated text, and and the complications just keep coming one after another, even if you interpret this as spiritual weakness, a weakness of faith, you still have to deal with uh, the use of oil, what is involved there. Um, Some of you may have experiences of having elders anoint with oil for some physical sickness. I wouldn't be opposed to doing it if somebody asked me to, but I wouldn't be doing it personally in a sense of fulfilling James 5. It would simply be accommodating somebody else's interpretation of James 5, which I believe is orthodox. It's not unorthodox. It's just not how I would view the text here. So let's look at that in more depth next time. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1. Really, there's just a few more one-anothers that are unique in that we haven't studied them before. And then I'll just conclude with 1 John, which gives us numerous instructions to love one another, which is exactly where we began. 1 Peter 1, verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. While we've covered loving one another before, I just wanted you to see how Peter unfolds a familiar command to love one another, but he he surrounds it with all kinds of theological implications. He begins by saying, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, This would ultimately begin with your confession of sin, your repentance, and your faith in Christ. Obedience to the truth that purifies your souls. So Hebrews would mention having our hearts sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Well, there's this purification process that occurs in what we call conversion. We we put off the old man. We put on the new, we're a new creature, we're, our sins are washed away. We understand this concept. Peter, though, is, is pulling that in and saying, that purification that came by your obedience to the truth, which then enables, he uses the word, for a sincere brotherly love, because that's who you are now, love one another. And then he adds, earnestly kind of magnifying that this love isn't just, you know, I have to, but it's actually a pursuit of loving others. And he's still not done. He says, do that from a pure heart. Now, I think we all recognize there are times when we obey and we know we should and we choose to, so it is an act of worship. We're, we're warring against our own feelings I don't think that's a violation here of loving one another earnestly with a pure heart. 
I think the pure heart there is making sure our motive in loving is right. It's not to be known as a loving person. It's not so that I can manipulate my spouse and get what I want later. Uh, It's not to be seen as, oh, there's one of the real servants in the church, or they always do the the most for people when they're sick. They always bring the nicest meal. Uh, Your reputation should not be involved in your loving of others. So there's the, the purity of heart. He's already used that word sincere in verse 22. So your obedience to the truth was so that you would have this sincere brotherly love. True love, God kind of wrought love in you. So keep it that way. Keep that love of God through you as a pure love. And then he argues in verse 23, you love one another since you have been born again. So because you've tasted God's love, love others. We've seen that elsewhere in the command to love. But even as we look back over the whole paragraph, beginning in verse 13, we realize that the set of instructions that flow out of this paragraph are sourced in being born again. Since you have been born again, you can love. That being born again means you can, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. It means you can not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You can be holy as God calls us to be holy. Uh, what other commands are there? Uh, all, the, all that's in that paragraph is sourced in this reality that we are not who we once were. Since you have been born again by this word of God, um, you're different now. So all this righteousness is possible, including loving others, because you have tasted the love of God. So in this coming week, whatever situation challenges you the most in loving someone, do not believe the lie that they're unlovable. They might be unlovely, but you can love them because you remember the gospel story in the language of love. God demonstrated his love to us while we were yet sinners. Or he died for us while we were the ungodly. We weren't lovable, but God loved. And that's the weight of the command here. Because you have now experienced the love of God, it's in you, you should love others. Your kids will be unlovely. Your spouse will be unlovely. Your neighbors and your boss and people at church will be forgetful. They'll overlook your needs. They're going to have unlovely moments, and yet none of that should factor in to your obedience to the text, to love one another earnestly with a pure heart since you have been born again. It sounds real simple when we just take what the Bible says and let it kind of stand against all of our feelings and arguments for why somebody doesn't merit our love. Um, So the silent treatment and the angry responses, all of that has to fall away to obedience to a simple command to love one another, especially as Peter couches it in all this other language that leads us right back to the moment when we experience the love of God um, undeservingly, and that love is to be shown to others. Peter's going to go on in 
chapter 4 and verse 8 to say, above all, keep loving one another. And he uses the same word from chapter 1 and verse 22, earnestly. So above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We saw this in a previous text as well. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense is seeking love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So there's the covering of an offense because you want to demonstrate love, and there's the repeating of the offense because it's powerful. It puts you in control. Your judge, jury, and executioner, when you can hold something against someone and say, aha, remember when you did this? And it's as if we can, we can manipulate them to do what we want because we have this, this power hold. Um, but the Bible doesn't call it power. It calls it the sin of unforgiveness, which unfolds in even the model prayer Jesus taught us. We, we beseech the forgiveness of God if and only if we are demonstrating forgiveness to others. If we're holding on to an offense to use it against someone, Jesus says you have no hearing with God in the seeking of forgiveness of sins for fellowship with him. You keep someone at arm's length and won't fellowship with them through forgiveness, then God says you won't be close to him in forgiveness. You'll be held at arm's length. So be careful with this concept of love. It's not just feel loving and bring flowers and do nice things. It, it really feels like the rubber hits the road a little more when love is tested by offenses, petty or weighty offenses. And Peter now twice has couched the command to love one another with the word earnestly. And so maybe it's helpful to ask ourselves, in, in what other spheres of life are we earnest about something, diligent? Where do we pay close attention to something? Whatever that would be for you serves as the illustration then for how you're supposed to love others this week. Maybe you're a student. You, you, you love diving into topics and you read a lot and you give attention to journals or magazines or maybe you're into woodworking and you have the tools and the skills and you want to know how to get some detailed corners made for your cabinets whether you're into fitness and exercise whatever it is uh, wherever you're diligent and you give your attention because you care it matters to you Peter says that's what loving others should look like a diligent earnest careful pursuit of demonstrating love. So love one another earnestly. Very next verse, 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Building on loving one another earnestly, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So let's think on hospitality for a moment. The biblical word for hospitality is really helpful. It takes phileo, brotherly love, so basically a friend. So the word friend, and then it takes the word stranger, 
and it just sticks them together into a compound word. You know, so if we were kind of rigidly reading in English, we would just read this weird word, show friend stranger to one another. But hospitality in the Greek language was a picturesque word. It was to make a friend out of a stranger. They were both at the same time. You really don't know this person, but you're receiving them as a friend. So you will demonstrate the friendship even though they really are a stranger. So the goal is making that outsider feel like they belong as an insider. That's hospitality. It really has nothing to do with table decorations, with a big spread of food. It's it's not about presentation. It's about how that person feels accepted or welcomed or that they belong. So many times we hear hospitality and we think, well, I couldn't do that simply because you've been around people who just love to do lavish things for people. And you think, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't have the stuff to do that. I don't have the money to do that. That's okay. Let them use what God has given them and you use what God has given you. But the reality is we're just not in a setting here at Grace Bible Church, where you have to be real concerned about some upper crust, uh, that we just don't have that crowd. Uh, and frankly, even if we did have somebody that had big, massive home and big, fancy dishes and multiple dining rooms, you shouldn't really be thinking twice about having them to your house and, you know, sweeping the crumbs from the child's, you know, booster seat off the chair and tidying up a little bit and having them to your kitchen living room. Because the goal is not to wow them with your culinary skills or your entertainment, but simply to make an outsider feel like an insider, to make them feel like they're family to you. You care about them. You can truly say to them, hey, make yourself at home. Uh, I want you to feel welcome. This is the hospitality Peter's talking about, and I don't know that he's even strictly talking about doing this in the sense of home with food and drink. It's the spirit of it first that's evident both here between services and the way you make an outsider feel like an insider, and then, of course, in your home as well. Roy, question or comment? No, I think that's a good point. I think there is a gospel influence that is demonstrated in hospitality. Uh, so you could have your neighbors to your home, and maybe you could start thinking, hey, if you're good at grilling steaks or hamburgers, you know, start thinking now about summertime's coming and having some neighbors over for a cookout. And 
you don't have to sit down and read the whole Gospel of John to them before they get their burger, but, you know, eventually you might have some conversations there and explain, you know, or answer their question, hey, where do you guys go every Sunday morning when we see you pull out? Uh, It's just a means of serving the Gospel. You want to tell them the good news. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So our goodness, our hospitality can be extended to believers, of course. That's probably the context of most of the hospitality we see. But to Roy's point, this is a, this is a broader influence than just those in the church. This can be your neighbors. This can be the, the people in the the stores, you know, the clerks and waitresses and waiters. There is a kindness you can show. Remember that, yes, it doesn't mean they have to be in your home to be hospitality. There is a kindness you show by making anyone who is an outsider feel like they're an insider. Be a friend, we could say. Be someone who listens, who will, who will hear when you ask a question, hear the answer and kind of relate to that. Make them feel like, you're someone who cares. That's, that's the essence of the word. You're moving someone. You're kind of trying to control this conversation, this relationship. You're going to insist that that person who feels distant is brought close. It's the act of hospitality. Um, it's not easy because a lot of times we can, we can get a rigid kind of wall of an answer, and we think, oh, well, you know, I guess it's just not going to happen. But I think hospitality just says, I'm not bothered by walls or harsh answers or hard no's. Hospitality says, I'll be back. Like, I'm not giving up that easy. And you keep going to make sure that that outsider becomes an insider. Now, it won't always work. Um, So... You know, we we can know that, um, but I think obedience to hospitality, again, reflects the mission of Christ who who says he came to seek and to save those who were lost. He didn't come and just announce, okay, raise your hand if you want to be saved, all right, you all come with me. No, remember, there's, there's 99 in the fold, and there's one that's not there, and he has to go and find and rescue and bring them in. Well, that 100th was an outsider that was made to feel like an insider, but it happened on mission. It was on purpose. It took some effort. Uh, and, And that's what Peter's after here when he says, yes, love, and love naturally becomes hospitality. Um... So whether you're having someone over to your house today or not isn't the ultimate proof test. Um, others in this church have more people to their home than you might. That's not really the issue either. The issue is, what are you doing to make outsiders feel like insiders? Uh, So don't compare yourself to others other than to say, oh, well, yeah, they had us over, and there was nothing complicated about that. Maybe I can do that after all. Uh, Look at others and learn from them, but don't look at others and think you're better or worse. You, you shouldn't do this because you're not like them or you can't do this. That's just not true. The Bible's admonition is to show hospitality. Um, so maybe even today, 
you'll, you'll look for someone. Uh, wander the aisle as you're heading back and forth, and if somebody's sitting there alone, stop and say hi. Uh, introduce yourself. You don't remember their name, even though you got it last week. Ask again. What is that person going to think? Well, they might think you're very forgetful and old or something, but they might also think, wow, he cares to get it right. Like, he's going to ask again. Like, I'm not going to be a stranger here. They're going to learn my name. Um, That's what it's communicating. But we always think the worst. Like, I'm going to look bad because I forgot their name. Okay, so you're going to not make them feel welcome because you don't want to look bad? doesn't make any sense, folks. We, we've got we've to break out here and look more like Christ, who is pursuing the ones who don't seem to belong. And he's going to insist that they do. So we've got to figure out this hospitality. Uh, Hebrews warns us that we, we had better be on the lookout. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares, right? So maybe somebody in here is an angel, and you need to have them over to your house or greet them because you just don't know. Who's the leading candidate, do you think? (laughs) Yeah, right. No answers. No hands are going up. Uh, Well, I think we remember the reference to the story of Abraham and angel of the Lord and several others are there. And, you know, the text kind of alludes to, he figures it out, but uh, he was showing hospitality, immediately called for the servants to, to fix the meal and let's, let's have food for our guests. And it ends up, you know, it was the angels and the angel of the Lord. And that leads to the story of the angel of the Lord leading him to overlook Sodom and Gomorrah and saying he's going to destroy the cities and all the, the account there. Uh, But the reminder is we need to be hospitable people, making strangers feel like they're friends. Uh, Romans 12.3, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So those are some big spiritual themes, hope. Rejoice in hope. And when you study 1 Peter, we know that that is the hope of what Christ has done for us, the hope of his return, the hope of eternal joy. So rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, endure to the end, persevere in the faith. That's a big theme. Be constant in prayer. How many sermons have you heard on prayer in your lifetime? Big element, a significant spiritual discipline. And then he kind of rounds out this issue by contribute to the needs of the saints, be a giver. But that's not enough. It's not just drop money in the plate. It's, that's great. You're helping the saints that are persecuted and scattered. But right where you are, he says, seek to show hospitality. Not even just show hospitality, which would be perfectly legitimate as a biblical command. But seek to show It's like taking that word earnestly and putting it with love one another. Love one another makes sense. The love of God in us should be a strong enough command, and yet by the Holy Spirit, Peter adds, earnestly. And now Paul to Rome is saying, show hospitality. Seek to do that. Seek it out. It's not the chance encounters and I'll muster up a kind response. 
No, it's seek, pursue, show hospitality. How many of you would say, I think I enjoy hospitality? Anybody? Raise your hand. Or or just like wave it in front of you and no one else will see it. (laughs) Okay, well, good. Uh, Anybody willing to say, man, it it intimidates me? (laughs) Anybody? A few of you? Yeah, that's all right. Um, Just look around the room and, and if you saw the people that raised their hands the first time, Maybe just get with them and say, what do you do? Like, what would you fix for a meal if you were having five other people over? Like, I'm just intimidated by all this. Um, Well, that's all right. I think obedience could be asking some questions, trying to learn a little bit. Um, Skip the dinner part. Just do dessert if if dinner is daunting. The, The point is just get people pulled into your little circle of friendship. Be encouraged. Uh, It is happening. Uh, When you receive hospitality, recognize it. When you show hospitality, uh, rejoice in that act of obedience. Uh, Can I ask you this? In this showing hospitality to one another, why do you think Peter would say, do this without grumbling? Yeah, we should do all things without grumbling and complaining, but... Once again, this uh, gift of life that he has given us. Right, so we've received much. Why else? What, what, could, what could lead to grumbling in your efforts at hospitality? I, I'm not even thinking of specific answers. I'm just kind of think out loud. Show hospitality without grumbling, so it makes you think something could go wrong with hospitality. <laughs> That leaves me like. Well, you have to put others' interests in front of yours if you're going to show hospitality. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's food or having people over or just going out of your way to take time. All that puts others' interests in front of your yeah. own, which a lot of times gets in the way of your own priorities. So you might have to table your agenda, your plans, your schedule to extend yourself on behalf of someone else. We all know what it is to have our few moments of freer time, and, you know, this will happen. My wife is, loves hospitality, so she'll be like, hey, let's have so-and-so and so-and-so over. And I'm thinking, really, the one night we could stay home and then, without grumbling? And then you realize, you know, you do it, and you realize that was a great use of that time. That, it works. And mo- most of you have tasted this when you, when you actually do it, despite the preparation and all the hassle, the shopping, the food, whatever it is, you do it, and even as you're cleaning up, you're like, that was, that was good, that was fun, that was nice, it was pleasant. Uh, so Dave's exactly right. There is, there is some putting out that has to happen. What else could lead to grumbling? Is anybody so self-righteous as to think nobody else seems to do this? You know, nobody's had us over. How come we always have to be the ones having people over? Don't worry about that. Uh, Keep showing hospitality and see if that catches on and helps others see what it looks like. Uh, And it gives them a taste. Yeah. I think just conversation can be terrifying. I don't know if that leads to grumbling. But, you know, when you're having somebody over, you're like, okay, so what are we going to talk about? 
and what if the conversation lags? And you know, what if things get uncomfortable and we use dilutes? You know, that's something I think a lot of people I talk to are afraid of, of hospitality. It's like, okay, so I have them over and I make the food, and then what do we talk about? And there takes a little bit of vulnerability, a little bit of planning, a little bit of coming out of your shell to do that. Yeah. And I, I think the planning part, if you're a more quiet person who, off the top of your head, doesn't come up with conversational topics, part of your hospitality may be having a list of questions you want to ask someone. Yeah, it's just a little preparation. And, you, you know, the idea, if you want to become a conversationalist, isn't you dominate the floor. The idea is you, you entice others to talk. And most people are willing to talk about themselves, not in tell me all the awards you've won, but hey, tell me what you really enjoyed about where you grew up, or tell me how you met your spouse, or tell me, and when you get them talking, you're off the hook, all right? So if you're a quieter person, come up with key questions and sit back with your popcorn and just take in the show. Uh, And you'll be good at hospitality. You'll be a good conversationalist by simply having some topics and introducing them and letting others run with it. Now, you might have a story or two to throw in there, but the idea here is we're trying to make someone feel at home, so let them speak, let them share, and now you have that bridge built. One time I saw they had a box of questions to ask for conversation start table talk type things. Sure. And that was kind of interesting. You could, you could Google this on Amazon. You could find conversational starters you know, and some of them might be purely secular, you know, topics and ideas. And then there's some that are even more Christian fellowship kind of oriented. But it's, it's literally just priming the pump for things that people could easily talk about. You're not asking them to share a book report, do some research and get back to me on this topic. Uh, you're just engaging them. And the, the ease of it is... When it's personal, when it's just your story, that's kind of easy to talk about. Um, So seek to show hospitality without grumbling. Uh, It might be costly at times, you know. You fix some steaks for everybody, and you didn't realize their kids don't really eat steaks, so they kind of just poked at it and flipped it around on their plate, and then it all got scraped in the trash, and you're thinking, they just wasted all that food. Well, no, don't, don't be a grumbler. Uh, don't be stingy in your efforts to be lavish and, and kind. Um, it may not be reciprocated. It may not always feel successful. The first time you try to reach out to someone, you know, whether it's the meal at your home or whether it's talking to somebody in the, in the church building in their seat, it might feel very rigid and stiff and you kind of walk away thinking, I failed miserably at that. Don't, don't. Don't yield to the grumbling. Know that the obedience, the pleasing of God was found in you reaching out and trying to build the bridge. And guess what? There's always next week. And you can walk by them again or plop down in their seat, row, their chair next to them and try to talk a little bit. And when it feels like it died again, okay, well, good talking with you. And off you go to the next one. But you're, you're working on it. Um, just, just don't give in to... The quitting or the grumbling seek to show hospitality to one another. Anyone else there? Any comment? Um, oh, yeah. I want to say Heidi and Aaron had us over several years ago, and our conversation went great. So. <laughs> uh, she's better than she thinks. Huh? They were encouraging. It was a neat time in our lives with our son. 
But if you know what you say to Mark Shelf, just get out your wooden train cable and let him play with your kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I'd mentioned, I probably mentioned it before, is uh, Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes in the Husky. That was, I'd recommend that book. It's very inspiring in this area. In fact, it's, it can be a little overwhelming because not all of us can be like Rosaria. Yeah, her... Sarah Butterfield's book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. She has another book, Something the Unlikely Convert, her, her, her Coming to Faith in Christ. And then the second book kind of just is a testimony of their vision of hospitality, which in the city of Philadelphia, oh, okay, was, uh, was pretty lavish, like pretty much multiple nights a week, anybody on the block would eat dinner at their home. Um, and so... A, an enormous chunk of their budget was going to feeding dozens of people, like, weekly. Um, now, one of the things in that was she would try to keep it simple. She'd just make soup. Right. You know, and she, she wasn't always worried about having this lavish meal, but just a hearty meal. Yeah, so the story's inspiring, um, but really the lessons are, are pretty simple. Find your way to do hospitality. Um, there's that book. There's a couple others. If you would like to do a little book report on hospitality, um, I had another book recently. It's called Loving Your Actual Neighbor. Should we have neighbor. to do the do book report when we come to your house for dinner? <laughs> sure. We will have you over if you will give the book report. I won't make you stand here and do it, but uh, that book is called Loving Your Actual Neighbor. Um, and it reminds us, wait a minute, I can say I'm loving my neighbor, but what about that actual neighbor? Like, you know, take that on as a mission for this summer. You know, doors are starting to open, yards are starting to need attention, and neighbors are going to be out there. So start thinking about what could be different this year than in the past with these neighbors of mine, uh, and just see what the Lord does there. Uh, let's tackle First uh, Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Uh, this is another unique word. At least hospitality is a legitimate word. Uh, this word, clothe yourselves with humility, is by all accounts a completely made-up word by Peter. Um, it's nowhere else in biblical literature. It's nowhere else in extra-biblical Greek literature. So this is the one use of this word. It's as, as if he was a preacher, right? And once in a while you just make up some kind of word uh, in trying to say something. Well, Peter mashes these ideas together, um, and he takes the main word as a noun, a servant's apron. And he says, basically, tie a knot with your servant's apron in humility toward one another. So this clothe yourselves is this tying on the servant's apron. Uh, that's the word he kind of made up. The question is, why did he make up this word? Well, he's trying to communicate humility toward one another. The better question is, is there anything in the scriptures that give us an indication as to how this imagery stuck in Peter's mind? 
where do we find an illustration of knotting or tying on a servant's apron in humility? Jesus washing the disciples. Yeah, it's it's about this time of year, actually. Uh, it, it, you know, we're we're coming up on Passover on the beginning of the Passion Week, and Jesus in the upper room at the Passover meal lays aside his robe, his kind of teacher garment, ties on a servant apron and washes the disciples' feet. Well, that imagery is what Peter has in mind when he makes up this word and is is capturing for us the idea that regardless of who I am, who I think I am, whatever status I think I have, I'm supposed to relate to others in a spirit of humility. Uh, And the word humility is also a compound word, low and mind, a low-mindedness. You think of yourself as low. In other words, you embrace serving because serving seems low. seems like the bottom of the rung. Um, You know, you go to the restaurant and usually the waiters and waitresses need to have a little polish because they're trying to wow and impress, look sharp, get a better tip. When busboys come out, they're not really concerned about wowing anybody. They got a big dirty tub and they're piling up dirty dishes in it. Uh, They're under the table picking up crumbs and napkins and chicken chunks that fell on the floor. Um, They're kind of the low person in the ranks in the restaurant business. Well, that low-mindedness is what Peter is describing as humility. Don't think of yourself as above the low tasks. Reality is, in the church, in the home, in most workplaces, the old adage is, there's always room at the bottom. You know, you shouldn't have any lack of serving because usually people aren't competing to do the low serving, serving tasks. You know, there's not a lot of arguments in our home about unloading the dishwasher. I mean, there are, but it's when it's their job to do it. But usually there's not fights going on to see who's going to unload the dishwasher. Why? Because there's always room for someone to serve. Um, so have a low mind as Christ did when he tied on the servant's apron and washed the disciples' feet. Uh, So some vivid imagery coming from Peter here to remind us that in humility, with a low mind, we serve each other. And again, that, that alone could keep us busy for the next week, just being mindful, having an antenna up to needs that are there and jumping in and serving. Now, of course, when it comes to delegating in, the, in business or equipping in the sense of the church, yes, there are times when somebody may supervise and give responsibilities. That's not a violation here. Uh, Jesus was completely comfortable giving commands. Even after modeling humility and serving one another, he stands up and says, if I, your Lord and master, have done this to you, you should do it to others. So he wasn't relegating his position of authority. He was simply saying that position even should have a spirit of humility and serving so that the greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who is serving, regardless of their rank or position or title or role. Um, That's kind of like another sphere of thinking. But all of those spheres are governed by, in humility, serve one another. 
So mark those one another's. Uh, we won't even get to 1 John, but if you were to read 1 John, you would see uh, again and again uh, the instruction to love one another with several references to, as you heard in the beginning, the command is to love one another. So John, by the time he's writing his epistle, now several decades after Christ's ministry on earth, is still pointing the church back to when Jesus was among them there in the upper room and on the journey to Gethsemane when he was teaching them and he told them, I'm giving a new commandment. And that commandment is that you love one another. And if you do that, everyone will see that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And so the one another survey really ends with a strong exclamation point, a strong bookend back to the beginning. It started with a new command. What is it? Love one another. It unfolds in all these nuances of bearing with one another and exhorting one another and comforting one another, but ultimately it's all love. So from beginning to end in the New Testament, we have our relational marching orders. Do everything you do in love. And if you say you love, you have everything of the one another's to be doing. So Lord, help us. We, we have a job description that is pretty daunting, really, to think of doing all these one another's all the time in a pure heart, driven by love, is, is beyond possibility apart from the power that comes by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so ease our minds as we yield to the Spirit and simply respond in love to the needs that we see around us this week, whatever that may look like, serving comforting, exhorting, praying for, acknowledging weakness and longing for help from others. Uh, May these one another's um, just kind of rattle around in our minds so that we're we're aware of the, the rich opportunities that are ours to show the kind of love that you demonstrated to us, to others. So help us this week to be one another minded so that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.